So, Lloyd, did Messiah ever actually feature in what you did as a, a singer? It did, yeah. But growing up at St. James, we had like a really good repertoire, but we never really sang Messiah. I think that was just maybe a little bit above our station. But I do remember singing it with the Grimsby Bark Choir when I was hired as the, the alto soloist and then would also sing in the choir as well. So it wasn't until I was probably like 17, 18 years old that I you know, sang it, but obviously was, was very much aware of it. And then it has been a staple ever since. It's one of those pieces that I think is just synonymous with choral singing, whether you are a choral singer or just a, a lay person, really. It's interesting what you might think makes it so inspiring in a way. Why do we keep coming back to this piece, do you think? I've been thinking about this long and hard, and I think, and I don't want to cast any shade on um, Handel, right? but I think it's hyperbole. <laughs> I think it's the fact that it just says hallelujah. It just gets used a lot. When I was working uh, for a, a TV show called Soccer M a few years back, we'd had Robbie Fowler on, and he was called the Messiah. <laughs> that was his nickname. And every time we called him the Messiah, they'd then use an extract from some sort of, you know, hallelujah chorus. And I think this is for the good as well, much in the same way that Zadok Priest and the Champions League music. I think people latch on to them for certain reasons. And so I think it's only ever a good thing for choral music where you can get something into the popular world that people go, oh, yeah, what's that from? And then the more people can go, like, you know, to have someone that, like my mum or something, oh, is that from Messiah? (laughs) As a piece of music... I think it's fine. I think it's absolutely fine. I just think that hyperbole has basically put it on this pedestal where it's deemed as being one of the greatest pieces of choral music ever, when in fact, you know, try telling that to Thomas Tallis in his 40-part piece, because I think it, it'd be fuming. It's an earworm, isn't it? And I tell you what, there's nothing worse than when a choir starts the page with great enthusiasm by the last page of just had enough of it. And also, it takes a lot out of you as well as a singer, I think as well. Yeah. You know, because it is a popular song, people just think, oh, it's quite easy to sing. It's actually not at all easy to sing. It It does take a lot of you. And it's it's not the beginning, it's not the end. It's kind of like, you've almost got to switch it on. You know, two-thirds of the way through, where ultimately, in, in a football match, that's what, that's when you'd be making substitutes. So, um, <laughs> it's the, where it's, it's the, ha, le, lu, and you've gone, mate, you're not making it easy for us. <laughs> so, Lloyd, uh, you sang in choirs, but you also sing solos, and of course, you actually sing two voices. You sing both countertenor, which is an alto range, and yeah. also tenor, isn't that right? Well, baritone, I'd say baritone, uh-huh. but it's, it's, you know, a, a high-ish baritone. And I know that in the choral world, those people that say they sing two voices are frowned upon. And I am absolutely one of those people that frowned on people growing up, being like, oh, you sing two voices, do you? Oh, pick a side, <laughs> mate. It's those people that buy half and half scarves at football matches. But, you know, nature happens, and my voice did break first time round. I was I was very fortunate in that you know I had quite a decent solo career in and around the northeast Lincolnshire area, and then you know moved as I say to Exeter and was doing a lot more solo stuff and moved to London was doing solo stuff and was going to go to either the college or, or academy to kind of really push forward as a countertenor, but then discovered comedy and you know I went from singing you know five to eight times a week to singing once or twice and i still i'm really fortunate i still um dep in the choirs like westminster abbey st george's chapel windsor castle and you know sing county center there but my i do feel my voice is almost having its second (laughs) 
break, really. But it is, yeah, it is weird seeing a man sing like a girl. So we're just, for anyone who isn't absolutely sure about a countertenor, this is a man standing on the stage and singing really very high. Very high, yeah. And this is the thing, like, and it was really interesting, like, seeing people's reaction, you know. And, you know, I've always been a, a, a biggish lad. And then, you know, it's quite funny when, like, the bass is quite a small, wiry fella and has this, like, unbelievably deep voice. Yeah. And then I get up quite barrel-chested, looking a little bit rough around the edges, and it's like... <clears throat> And the people are like, what is going on? What is going on? Is he glitching? What's, is it, is this, does he need resetting? Um, but, and then once you tell people, you know, the, the story about, you know, how men sing that high, I mean, they still, to be fair, they still find it quite weird. And, you know, when you're talking about castrations and stuff, and but, you know, assure them that that is not the case <laughs> nowadays. But um, I did my dissertation at university on the uh, the evolution of the countertenor in the last 50 years. And, it, you know, I talked about the Bee Gees and Jimmy mm. Somerville and Justin Timberlake. And singing high in your falsetto voice sometimes can be deemed as being effeminate, a bit weird. I loved it. And we've all got, you know, a head voice. So we can all use our head voices. And then it's just what's in zeitgeist at the time. So if Justin Timberlake all of a sudden decides he wants to use falsetto, then it's, it's you know, it's cool. So you incorporate uh, singing into your stage show, of course. So what made you do that? Is it because of all this training and all this past? Yeah, I think the fact that my mum had slaved over um, me staying at this school and, have you know, bless her, she worked her backside off to, to keep me at St. James. It's very much been a family thing to get me to, to where I am. As I say, like, I don't want to waste that training, but also it's quite unique. I think in comedy, you know, most people have a USP. So with Mickey Flanagan, mm. he's like the the Cockney geezer. Hey, Daniel, I mean, and then Michael McIntyre's the kind of like the flamboyant, kind of like posh lad. Then you've got Jack Whitehall, who's the ultimately, you know, the posh lad. Milton Jones is the one-liner. For me, I was like, well, there aren't that many people that are trained singers. So I'm going to do that. So I do incorporate it also as well, because I love doing it. I love singing. And it's something different. And people always come up afterwards and like, oh, my scene more singing, which I think is an insult to the jokes. But, <laughs> you know, you take it as a compliment. So do you include some of this in a way to try and persuade people that singing is a good thing and they should yeah. possibly ex- extending their knowledge of it and so on? hundred percent. And, you know, people do always ask about it. How do you get into it? How, you know, how does one go about it? And I always tell them, you know, anyone can sing. Anyone can go and watch singing. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're really fortunate in this country to have a number of cathedrals and churches that have even song that are free that people can go and listen to it. And I have this story in my routine a few years back where I'd go to football on a Saturday mm. and it's at three o'clock. And I go with my mates and I have to mime. And they're like, why are you miming? I'm like, oh, because I've got a choir in the morning and I don't want to ruin my voice. And they're like, well, that's a bit weird, isn't it? That's a bit weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Singing with like a load of blokes. It's like, mate, we are sat in a stadium with 4,000 other men and we're singing <laughs> in a bigger choir, which is arguably weirder than my six-part choir tomorrow morning in a church. Sure, we're wearing dresses. I was like, but that's by the by. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't realise that they, they do sing and how much it benefits them. And that's one thing that I'm trying to work on through trying to get TV shows out into the ether. Football and rugby and any sport where you go and you sing really does help you. And all those chants as well are usually hymns. Yeah. You know, when you're insulting the ref, I mean, who's the in the black? You're going... That's Comronda. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's singing. You've got 4,000 men singing Comronda there, which is more than you're probably going to get at Westminster Abbey tomorrow morning. So 
I think there's a lot of links in there and I'm doing my best to try and get more people into choral music and kind of erase that barrier. I think it's really beneficial for people to be aware of choral music especially and also to be able to sing if, if they can. And whether that is singing along with 10 of your mates at a football match, you know, abuse at your rival Yorkshire team, or whether it is trying to find, you know, an open choir that will accept people from, you know, all ranges and stuff. So, I, yeah, I, I'm very, very active in trying to get people over to the choral side. Wow. 